0: I'm Brendan Madigan, and this is season three of Afterglow, a mountain storytelling podcast. I'm excited to welcome you back for another deep dive into the mind, heart, and soul of eight amazing and world renowned adventure athletes. We kick off season three with Jeremy Jones, an absolute deity of the snowboard world. For those of you who know Jeremy, he needs no introduction. For those listeners who haven't heard of Jones, He has been a snowboarding icon for nearly three decades and is someone who epitomizes everything good and soulful about the sport. During his extended career, he has appeared in over 60 films while becoming the godfather of big mountain snowboarding. He's also founded his own snowboard company and been nominated for National Geographic's Adventurer of the Year. In 2007, Jeremy founded Protect Our Winners, an organization that I view as one of the last great hopes for fixing our climate crisis. What I find most revealing about Jeremy is that he is one of the most humble, down-to-earth humans you could ever meet. He's quick to point out the strengths of others, downplay his accomplishments, and shine the light on the powerful passion of the everyday rider. The truth is that Jeremy Jones is a special person. I sincerely hope you enjoy our chat with this insightful and soulful icon.
1: I jokingly say my my grandfather um, discovered Vermont um, just because where we growing up, um, multi-generational deep roots on Cape Cod come from a huge family, um, on Cape Cod and it's a beautiful place. Um, and it's wild. We were at a huge family function. There was 90 people there, um, of immediate, um, cousins and uncles and everything. And it's basically 90 or uh, of those 90, um, 86 still live within an hour from Cape live on Cape Cod or or the outer edges of it. And for whatever reason, my brothers and I, or not for whatever reason due to winter, um, we, you know, couldn't get West fast enough. Right. Um, and, and then, so I think that it's also my parents, um, they, It wasn't, they did not, their motives were like, they found Vermont later in life, um, or not later, but kind of in their mid to late um, 20s, and they fell in love with skiing, and it wasn't like, man, we want to make our kids skiers and get them in these, we were, none of us were in race programs or anything like that, it was more like, we're going to the mountain, you guys are coming, and um, we'll, you know, meet for lunch type deal, and years go by and they're like what the hell happened our kids are now on this totally alternative path and um it definitely caught them off guard.
0: Right. And tell me a little bit about your childhood. I know you had your brothers who are very well established and you know famous in their own ways. Right. Um but it sounds like you were like classic kid playing sports but then found your 180.
1: Yeah, I loved traditional sports. Cape Cod um, was really serious. Um, Massachusetts, serious hockey town. So You guys playing, were in Hyannis. Yeah, Centerville. Centerville so okay. yeah, Hyannis is right down the street. So we, um, I was playing hockey eleven months of the year at a pretty young age. Fell in love with skateboarding. That was something my brothers weren't into. I don't know if that was something to do. Is like I. Me and uh, my buddies had our own scene, which was skateboarding based and really fell in love with that lifestyle. That was kind of Bones Brigade
0: era. Early 80s. Yeah.
1: Early 80s, like real boom time of skating and Thrasher Mag. And then same with like fell in love um, or fell in love with the concept of surfing. We lived 45 minutes from the beach. We knew no one and nobody we knew knew how to surf. We were putting um, spring suits over three mils and taking football gloves for our hands and um, doing everything wrong with surfing. Took us forever to learn hitchhiking to the beach and, uh, but just something about this sideways lifestyle we loved. And then I started um, seeing like snowboarding in Thrasher magazine and was like, oh man, that's what I want to. Do and at that by that point I had been skiing and I enjoyed skiing, but um, it was that led to me getting on a snowboard. The very first snowboard I saw was at a general store in Vermont. Uh, that went to the top of my Christmas list, and that was no bindings, a wooden uh, Burton Backhill, and again, no one to teach. And it took forever for me to learn how to snowboard.
0: Right, but I love the organic beauty of finding those passions early in life you know because you talk about booting up the the golf course hill and you know riding 100 feet of vertical
1: yeah and that was it was one of those things where we would go to vermont every weekend and then i started being like hey i want to bring my snowboard home and you know my brothers and parents are like well we never thought of that you know it just showed this just huge passion for it and then um yeah, and then it was a couple of years in, I still remember where I was in my kitchen table so vividly when I opened up the Burton catalog, and it had a list of where it was allowed, and Stowe was allowing snowboard that year. and, and Short uh, list, though. Yeah, very yeah. short list, and it was just, um, I just couldn't believe it, and I got off the lift that I, at at this point, I've been riding that mountain for, I don't know, six, eight years, you know, had it, we'd spend all day, every day on it, and um, knew it really well, and I get off the lift, and start riding down these trails I know so well, and they just, like, went three-dimensional on me, and I was, it was just, I couldn't, everything changed instantly all these side hits and rollers and everything it, it turned into this video game and and yeah i just couldn't at that point there was if those lifts were spinning i right. was there yeah my brothers were
0: there yeah it's a cool sto- it's a cool background story are, are your folks still my living folks
1: recent well so my parents then moved to vermont you know when we i don't know when exactly when but they ended up they were in vermont for about Thirty years, yeah, almost thirty years, and now they've sold their snow shovels, and they do um, Cape Cod, and are back to the Cape uh, or Cape Cod in Florida. Cool,
0: yeah, yeah, Snowbirds, Snowbirds. And I read in the in the TGR film, the far out ones. You say how your parents raised you helped you become a free thinker.
1: Yeah, I think a lot about. um, I grew up in this. Where did you grow up?
0: Virginia. Okay, how did you know about Hyannis? We go to the Cape every fall right. and I've become vaguely. good friends with Kristen Hostetter. Okay. Who's yeah. your cousin, right? Of course, yeah. And she's just wonderful, but long story, Kristen has connections there, so. Yeah. All being right. sick, it was like where where I went to turn off, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful place.
1: Total. Yeah, it's incredible. And so understandably, I don't, you know, my people that are born there, they don't leave. Right. Um, it's cause it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think a lot, um, growing up on Cape Cod and and just, I think in East coast in general, I grew up where it was like this really clear path of do good in school, get into college, get a good job. And It was, I mean, my grandfather, for example, um, a lot of people don't know this, but he was a, um, state Senator in Massachusetts. So really successful. Um, and my dad, um, was, you know, really, he went to Dartmouth college Ivy league, you know, so by all accounts was a lawyer for a while. And then, um, when they went to Vermont, he ended up being in the maple syrup industry, Mm -hmm. Uh, which was this huge pivot. But so by all accounts, I grew up in this very like hold the line course. Um, And we just had this, my brother started going out West. I remember uh, on a payphone talking to my oldest brother, Steve, and he was in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I had never even heard of it. I didn't know where Wyoming was. I'm like, where are you? It wasn't where he... He like set off for Colorado and was there for a while and, you know, ended up in Wyoming randomly. And um, so we went this different direction and my dad quietly embraced it. And and as a parent now, it's, I think, because it was very... Just this whole, like, where are you going to college type stuff? And when I'm back there going, I'm actually not going to college. I knew I wasn't going to college. (laughs) I didn't apply to college. I was like, and that was very unorthodox. And it was hard on my mother. My mother really had a hard time with it. But my dad um, just, he saw, I think he saw the the love. And it was never talked about, but I think somehow he instilled in us very subtly that you know thinking differently is okay
0: yeah this is a tremendously diverse family I mean yeah and then my folks had the same thing like and I remember you know living in Virginia graduating college and then spending a winter out west into being fully hooked that was that was in early 2000s and dude I did everything in my capability to just get a tgr sticker and it was (laughs) like the holy grail to put on your on your car right so right oh
1: i mean that's great yeah well you had a similar i mean virginia to here i mean so we similarly unorthodox past
0: yep broken the chain of like you know the the trajectory that's established on the east coast but do you think the that kind of free thinker um mentality translates into your writing Or did it get you into that different writing style? Because I look at you guys and I, you're artists, you're snowboarders, you're filmmakers, you know, whatever. But to me, the the overarching theme there is your artists.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, That's a great compliment. I do. You know, I've been thinking a lot um, about the fact that I've had the opportunity to snowboard with so many amazing people. Um, it's just, the list is endless and so many times I'm on the mountain and I'm just like trying to hang on, uh, like, wow, this person is a freak. And I don't know why I, um, am still a pro snowboarder and now, you know, get more and more accolades and cause I don't ever, I, I don't know why that. There's a lot you know, a lot to be like, why am I, why do I still have this opportunity when these other people don't have that opportunity? There's a lot of, a lot that goes into that. There's business side of things um, that's part of it. And but at the end of the day, my brothers and I have really embraced the mountains as this really special place that is just about the craft of going into the mountains and listening to them understanding them and just celebrating them through the art of riding down these mountains and uh we document that uh but it's always um the way TGRs approach and which you know comes from my brothers and I've been a big part of that is we look at when we go into the mountains we're shooting wildlife like mm-hmm. this is not like and on a perfect day we don't know cameras are there um and there's never Uh, Like, we got, you know, did we get the shot or is the trip over? Because we, it's just like, we're here to evolve and progress and, and document it as, you know, without a disruption, ideally to the act of walking into the mountains and coming back down.
0: Right. Well, and are your parents still alive? Yes. Yeah. They've got to be super proud of all of you.
1: They're, my, yeah, my parents are incredibly Proud and it's it's interesting because for a long time. I mean, my brothers and I I mean I we groveled for a long time. Like our path did not look like this great path. So inevitably, um my parents are at the cocktail party. How are the kids doing? Oh, they're great. They're sleeping on the floor in Jackson Hole and and, and Todd just got a he actually has a bed now, which is cool. <laughs> and um so on and you know it's like and jeremy got his first car at 20 and so we're excited about that and meanwhile their friends kids are thriving so our path did not look like a great path for a long time right uh and then so that's an interesting thing is like at what point and i think of um a lot about Where we end up in these wonderful room full of free thinking, life seeking, you know, people charging and it's a you run a gauntlet to get there. And on the road is there's a lot of people that like there's very few like really simple paths there. Uh, You just don't get to that that room or that deal without really digging in and having commitment to your path, whether you're a professional photographer, filmmaker, somehow, if you've figured out a way to make this life work, you had to be creative. You definitely slept on the
0: floor a lot and, um, and you ate a lot of clip bars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And, and I love the serendipity part of how people from the East or really anywhere get west and live that life in the mountains that ca- kind of calling so to speak yeah. so you've got to believe in in serendipity you know it didn't just happen overnight
1: definitely didn't happen um overnight and there's a, yeah there's so many i mean i just find myself more and more um fortunate to that all these things lined up and then i and then at the end of the day you know as i think about it and we i just released another film um to yeah, congrats, a, by the way. Thank you to a bunch of people fired up and screaming for it and showing up for it. And it's really um the community has said we support what you do and we like the snowboards you design, we like the films that you make, uh, we like the media you put out, and because of that support is why I still get to do this job. Right and why you know why are they supporting me more than anyone else it's a so it's a huge honor like yeah. when i go there and it's like here they are again showing mm-hmm. up and supporting and cheering for me
0: right when well, i love the bit too you know when you talk about before the first screening of ode demure which i think is just a stunning you know work of a, like a seminal work even um, that ideally in the future we will look back on as a very kind of a benchmark in our progression hopefully but uh you know you talk about being more scared to release that which was a different style of film yeah. than anything in your life
1: so. yeah yeah i mean ode to Mirror, like we'd be in the editing suite and i mean we have this we've made these films forever and it's like all right it's been like six minutes show the guy almost dying right. and to uh, <laughs> heavy metal music right. you know or like cue the avalanche or and ode to Mirror, there was never like and then, so when you're watching a film like that, you're like, all right, here, it's coming. Metallica's coming. We're going to be good here in a couple minutes. Get them through this flat spot. And with Ode, we had no, there was no Metallica coming. There was, um, I remember doing the first sound check um, at the premiere and you and you kind of do color and sound and you you dip in um, and, you know, at the, in the theater of like to these different sections. And I'm with a friend of mine who hadn't seen the film and so we're watching these two minute chunks and it's like myself and Elena walking with silence, blown out light. Like again, we never would shoot in that type of light, never shoot in that snow. And I'm just like, holy shit, man, what did we talk ourselves into on this editing suite? Like that, cause those clips by themselves were just looked like raw, like nothingness. And, um, so yeah, I was definitely, um, terrified to release that film. And, and then we, you know, we, we get into politics, which is obviously like, people don't go to a movie to hear politics and and that stuff understandably, but, um, it's just gotten harder and harder to not talk about that, especially knowing that this film is showing, you know, leading up to the most important midterm election of our time, I'm on the road with these things. And it's like, well, what am I going to do with that hour time I have with these people? And I'm, and, and I'm like, I have to try to like get them thinking a little bit about the importance of this election.
0: Right. And I think too, I'll come back to some of the, the political stuff, but I think too, it speaks to your willingness to branch out and put yourself out here because we had recorded you know, a handful of interviews, chats for this. And like, I was struggling with it. I was like, fuck, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's good enough. I don't right. know if I want to put it out there to the world. And, and Kristen was like, well, welcome to being an artist because it's completely frightening to put yourself out there. So to be able yeah, to do that
1: is We like to, you know, I like to say like, if you're not, now I've learned that like, oh man, I'm scared. I'm like, oh, that's a good thing. That's where we should be in life. Yeah. We should be like, This is terrifying. And I think of like a film, for example, um, or any form of long form media anyways, that someone is going to give you, you know, an hour of their life. You have to give it up to them. You have a platform. Yeah. And you have to honor that they've done that by peeling back all the layers and, and the film should, you know, feel like you're walking into an auditorium naked. Right. Um, Yeah, And if it isn't, then it's just this guarded, polished, you know, almost, I don't know, you know, it's just not real.
0: Right. Yeah. Sometimes I crave a little more comfort and stability, but then I think you'd be bored or you, you wouldn't be fulfilled or, you know, that kind of thing. But and I've read a lot about, you know, growing up and getting into snowboarding and how you competed out west. But how did you end up in Tahoe?
1: So I had a coach, Jerry Masterpool, that was based out of here. Early 90s or mid-90s, there was a ton of pro contests here. So we would come out here and um, and need to um, say there'd be like a six-week window of contests, like two weeks here, a week there, what have you. So it was kind of needed a Western base that we could launch from. So I think it was around, um, I think it was about, well, first time I was here, I was 16. And then I think by 17 or uh, 18, like senior year in high school. Late, late 90s. Yeah. this would have been, um, no, like mid, Mid-90s. like ninety. You know, not, first time I was here was 92. Yeah. And so like 93, 94, actually with John Percy, who, mm. um, you know, from Dave's and Olympic bike yeah. shop
0: undercover we, crusher
1: super crusher yeah. uh, again one of the i mean i so john is from vermont right. and i met john john was the best snowboarder on my mountain no hands way down oh yeah it was and and he had the he was one of those rare breeds that could um he could get top 10 in a pipe contest and a race um so yeah so one of the best snowboarders we've ever seen But so we rented a place on Donner Lake and put 14 of us in this um, one bedroom with a loft cabin. That was the start. And I just kept coming back. And then down the street from here, I rented a closet. And then I met my wife. And then we rented a bigger closet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, it just, it wasn't... I just kind of ended, it wasn't like I'm moving to, my wife was like, I'm moving to Tahoe. She was she was, from right? Vermont? She was from Ohio. Okay. And she just heard, she's like California with, um, you know, saw the stuff from Tahoe and a right. snowboard mag and it's like, I'm going there. So I think it's, um, it's a classic example of, cause I was living, you know, I would spend a lot of time in Jackson Hole and I lived in Jackson Hole um, for a stint of time. And at the end of the day, I think it's the water that has um, kept me here is being from Cape Cod, um, both like the lake, just having that in my life and then having the ocean driving distance um, because I just felt like I was missing that when I was living in
0: Jackson Hole. Yeah, we're spoiled.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we get the best of both worlds. Who were your mentors growing up? It's like I've had so many mentors and I've had so many um I'm always trying to learn from the people that I'm with and I'm a product of um I'll pick up little pieces of from riders and stuff, definitely people in the mountains. But um obviously uh, my brothers, uh especially early on. Uh, and they're both older. And they're both older. Yeah. Um when I started racing, uh, Mark Fawcett I traveled with him. He was the fastest guy, you know, a couple of years older, and and inevitably, I always l- learn the most. I think from, I find it really helpful to um, look at people who are older than me because they're further, they're, they I can, it's almost like a look into the future. Um, when we got into the mountains and definitely Alaska, Doug Coombs was a huge influence, and then around here. Um, I had the opportunity to start riding with Tom Burt, uh, which was massive influence. And then that led to me hanging out with Jim and Bonnie Zellers, who I snowboard Jim. I probably snowboarded or snowboard with him more than anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when I started getting into this total foot power deal, I really went, I'd known Jim for a while. Um, uh, but that's when I really started tapping into Jim, uh, and, learned a ton from him and then also the fact that he has two kids they're 10 years older than my kids um so just from a parenting perspective he's been a huge mentor and then i really look to people who i think have share similar values and figure out um and in, in a lifestyle similar lifestyles and figure out how to um get on you know embrace that same lifestyle and make it work And then as I get older now, I'm really, I mean, I had this perception that like at, I don't know what the age was, but you know, at 35, I'm going to like not be able to snowboard anymore. And then meeting Jim and Glenn Paulson and these guys and going, man, these guys are 10, 20 years older than me. They're crushing me in in the mountains. They're out there all the time. Start asking them questions. Mm -hmm. And that's really opened my eyes to this, like, you don't have to stop.
0: Right. Yeah. No, they're definitely enigmas. And we talk a lot about Jim and Glenn in particular, you know, as being these kind of modern day samurais with, I mean, Jim's a little different because he has family, but, you know, just complete devotion to a craft over such a long period of time is, is pretty amazing to me.
1: Yeah, and, and just from like a a fitness level, you look at those guys um, and they're anomalies in the sense of like, Jim's 10 years older than me, he outclimbs me, he outbikes me, he outhikes me, and he's probably beating me back to the chairlift at KT. And you'd think that like he... You know, lives in a gym and is like counting calories and da da da. da you know, and it it's so. Um, and same with Glenn. I mean, very active. You know, they it would be an interesting fitness book for them to write because right. yeah. it's not in line with. If you go into a bookstore today and there's like you know a whole section on health, right? None of those guys read those books. None of them do those exercises, um, but yet. There's gifted. just no denying the outcome.
0: Right. Yeah. And then I love the fact that they are the soul of the sports that we love to me. You know, yeah. and I think that's a big thing for you guys at Jones, right? Like these local heroes who are unsung, you know, maybe even unsponsored and they're just doing it for the passion.
1: Yeah. I think it, um, from the get go with Jones, um, I'm like, I, that, those are the people that I, uh, really are my embraced. People. Yeah. yeah. And, like I don't. Um, I want the riders that like, that is their identity. They're going to do it their whole life, um, and their life's around it and they do it for the right reasons. And, um, and I found those people, um, at, at all these kind of free ride Meccas around the world. And, um, and that's been, you know, it's kind of like, who are the people when I go to Chamonix that I want to ride with or italy or japan or what have you
0: yeah and I, I love the i heard you say somewhere along the lines of the you know we use the adage a lot of the person smiling the biggest wins it doesn't matter if they're skiing in jeans or are like a complete epic ripper you know and i love that about you guys that you honor both
1: yeah and because it, you it's kind of that cliche you hear as a kid and you and you know i would laugh it off like the best snowboarders the one having the most fun and then As I get older, it's like these sports, you know, the whole purpose is to go out and have a good time. And I have taught that to my kids and it's really cool because there'll be some, you know, so-called kook that was just so high stoke and I'll like start talking to them and kind of befriend them and... And so my kids have seen that and now they'll be like that guy over there. I think that guy's the best guy on the mountain right now. <laughs> and he won't be the like pro deal. And, and cause nothing is more sad than, you know, the, the, you'll see it for sure a lot in surfing, but you see it on the mountain where like the, the, these people with like a super high level pro level ability and they're bitter and it's just like it's heartbreaking to see that yeah
0: it's a little bit too elite yeah how do you relate or how do you grapple with or embrace being a mentor yourself now because we have a lot of close friends who have you know called you that to me
1: yeah I mean that's a huge honor um and I don't I I think probably in the school of Glenn and Jim Zellers it's just like I, I, you know, I guess lead by example. Because um, another interesting thing, Conrad Anker, um, who's gotten to be a friend, um, he just said um, a couple of years ago to me, I don't know how we got on it, but he's like, I was like, who you climb with? Um, in, in, who do you climb with when you're home? And he's like, well, I'm always tapped into the latest round of 24-year-olds. Right. Um, and He's like, yeah, you got to be on the, um, you know, on, you know, that's what keeps you young and fresh and like be tapped in with the next generation always coming up. And it's, and then I thought about, I'm like, oh wow, I've been doing that for a long time because a lot of it's like, yeah, it's the beautiful, sunny powder day. There's a million people you can call, but who can you call to go walk in the rain or, you know, go mission to like a 12, 18 inch base um, or lap, you know, gray Wednesday bulletproof ice, it's, it's not the 40 year olds. It's the 24 to 32 year olds. And I've gone through a lot of cycles of,
0: uh, of them. Right. That's awesome. Um, where did the tagline, the journey is the reward come from? How'd that come to be? Um, it,
1: I mean, I got it from, um, Steve jobs who I don't think it came from, you know, I think that that's probably was first written in, a,
0: like a Buddhist you know, in China or something,
1: yeah, 500 years ago, but uh, it struck a chord with me. Cause that's when I was really um, embracing this foot powered snowboarding and um, making films about it, which when it comes to making snowboards uh, or making films about um, shooting high end snowboarding in pristine mountains helicopters are an incredible tool for that and uh taking that away we had a um what you could call as far as like going out and getting the shot a lot of failure on that and so just embracing and and i never considered that failure but as far as going out turning around or having the clouds come in or being too late or, you know, not getting the shot. I mean, we did, you know, that ended up being a reality much more than getting the shot. And, um, it ended up where I, I, it didn't bother me. I kind of got me more into it and, and it got me embracing the journey.
0: Right. Yeah. And it probably hits on many different levels, right? Where we learn the most from, the process and the outcome is comes and goes fairly quickly.
1: Totally. And when you think of like, like I got to a point with a helicopter, where I could go into a new range and map that thing really fast and go and tee off on the best lines in the range. And, in, in a if we had the right weather in a couple of days and I was like, man, it's just so fast. And it's so, it's like when you do find that perfect, beautiful mountain that I, you know, that I think of as, perfect and beautiful, which would just be this aesthetic, big, clean, rippable line. Like why not put time into that thing and really like sleep underneath it and really learn its moods and figure it out. And so I learned that, and then for one, they're hard to find. Like there's just not a ton of them in a range. So um, why not like instead of going through a range in three days, have it take you know 10 years or what have you um but so i would as we would go and it would be common to have it take 3 4 5 attempts and every time it would we would have to turn around it would be like ooh we just add another chapter to this this the novel of this mountain and it just got more um more depth, more meaning to it every time we have to turn around. So it, it kind of almost excites me when it's like, wow, this one's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's taking time. or And so just embracing, that's not a bad thing.
0: Right. I think it's a good metaphor for life, you know, to say, you know, live in the moment. It's thrown around too maybe callously, but it's a very acute point, you know, slow it down and think about the people who you're with and because they might be gone. And, yeah think about what you're doing because that could end
1: yeah god definitely the um you know out of just with loss um i've had a lot of loss lately and it's um it you really you know life is precious and and i do you know i have a lot of i'm i have a lot of work i'm pinned a lot um and with that it gets me um where every day i try to like grab a piece of life and sometimes that's 15 minutes um and that's fine it is what it is but it's still it ends up being a really important 15 minutes Mm -hmm.
0: and we've been acquainted for gosh seven eight years you know i Mm -hmm. think and i know you well enough to say that you're a very selfless humble person you know that kind of emanates from you when you're in the room but is humility important for you well i think um I've recognized that,
1: like, the most dangerous and kind of put-off character trait is ego. Um, And really, especially when it comes to mountains. And that is, if I look at the the mistakes I've made in the mountains, it was ego-based. And it's a trait, and this goes back to my brothers, you know, where we... We had to learn, uh, really quickly. Like when we roll into a town with our cameras, uh, that those people that are like really like out there to prove that they can do it or what have you, um, the stuff that comes along with, with, um, the possibility, you know, with the cameras and stuff that baggage, yeah, there's baggage, there's mental. So like, what's a, how do we stop the red flag kid before stuff gets, um, out of control here? Cause there's a time to throw down and there's a time not to throw down. And when we see people, um, trying to throw down in the wrong conditions and, and they're not listening to us, then, you know, we move away from people like that.
0: Right. But I think you, you know, I think you embrace it in your own persona and that's what's made your career. So, you know, lengthy part of it.
1: Well, I think it goes back to like...
0: Because no one likes an asshole. Well, yeah. I'm
1: humbled by the fact that I have this opportunity. Um, and I recognize that I have this opportunity because people support me.
0: Right. Yeah, I guess... You're honoring the gift.
1: I'm honoring the gift. Yeah. I'm honoring the opportunity. I recognize how fortunate um, I am to get to live in a place like this and and do what I do on right. a daily basis. Yeah.
0: And I think you also you also seem very adept at surrounding yourself with very key people you know the the Jim Zellers of the world you know that kind of thing is that is obviously an important part of what you do as a career
1: definitely and in life is finding um you know if you are who you surround yourself with and you you know you do get to choose your friends and I definitely um, choose you know again, people that share the similar ethos and um and just the real life livers uh that are feel have that same gratitude for just life and the fact that we get to run around in the mountains a lot
0: right, and you've done it in your professional life as a rider, but also it seems to me in your business, you know with protect our winners and yeah. that, that collaborative nature has to be pretty rewarding.
1: Yeah, the collaborative nature of um, to work with these different teams and have these goals um, and and create. I mean, it go, it goes back to. I mean, business is also this great art form. You have so you have an opportunity all the time to to put out into the world um, what you think is is the right things to put out into the world, and then with protect our winners to see these people, um, and to be surrounded by, um, these people like the, the talent level of, uh, that we have at protect our winners is, you know, they have opportunities, you know, a lot of opportunities and they've chose to make fighting climate their life's work. And it's really, uh, impressive to, and it's just, I'm so grateful for those people to have them in my life.
0: Yeah. When I really respect that about you, I read, you know, a quote somewhere and you were talking about, you know, a movie of yours, but, you know, you're like the, the um, quarterback who's, you know, interviewed after the game, who's humble enough to say it wasn't about me, it was about our team. And there were 30 people on this film yeah. and from, you know, of filmers to editors to whatever is a collaborative effort. I thought that's, that speaks volumes about you, it sounds like writing is an important outlet for you. Yes. Um, writing of, is super
1: important. Yeah, do you, so you write? I don't. Oh, dude, you gotta, I mean, you gotta get your morning pages going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do what you want, but, uh,
0: but it's a reflective you have, exercise. I don't
1: know. I, for me, it's, it, that I would say that is instilled, um, from my father who, um, is reading and writing. Uh, we've been, a my brothers were English majors. Oh, cool. Um, it just, we've always embraced books. My brothers especially, um, embraced writing and I just have always had a journal, not, not daily. I mean, it could go weeks without touching it. Now I, I do much more because I've just to kind of clear my thoughts but I love the the therapeutic kind of art form of writing and just just letting it go and see where it takes me and and much yeah I just think that I don't know something about the written word and the process of it I really enjoy it's
0: a meditative process it's a meditative process
1: Right on. and now there's kind of a lot of I don't want to call science about it but there's it's kind of the in thing now is um is writing
0: yeah well like the expression of gratitude you know on a daily basis i think that's healthy and but yeah and it sounds like you know life of glide was based on a poem you wrote right
1: yeah yeah so i i write a ton i rarely um share it and i'm i think i've been getting a little bit more comfortable just throwing it out there Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think that it's I don't know. It's just a place to work out thoughts and, and celebrate too. I mean, I celebrate the, you know, those good days. Like I love like writing at the end of a good day to just try to harness, um, the emotions that are created from this good day and try to put it into words, which um, is a very hard thing to do. Yeah.
0: You know, it's a great exercise, but, uh, and I, I kind of love the, the passion driven side of that, that, you know, life of glide showcased, you know, this, you know, idea that it, whether it's snowboarding or skiing or whatever analogy you want to have, that it's a common thread yeah. you know, f- and, and you can be from any walk of life and be drawn to it. What do you think it is about that feeling that appeals so viscerally to us?
1: Well, that feeling, I mean, I, I mean, I think just, walking in the mountains and slide or even whatever, you know, going to a resort and sliding down the mountain or getting on a mountain bike. It's, it's idiot's guide to present moment mm-hmm. and, um, it forces you to live in the moment, force you to live in the moment. I think it's also a very easy way to connect with nature. And so those, cause you have to ask like, why are we still, why do we still like, I mean, how many times have I ridden KT 22 and still just love it? And it's, that's our medicine. I mean, that we're going there for things more important than just like, I'm going to pull some G-forces and catch some air. It's like, right. what's behind those G-forces and the catching of air? And then it's what it's doing to your brain and your body and your senses that when you walk back to your car after an hour at KT, you are a totally different person. Right.
0: Well, and there, I think there's a tremendous amount of research coming out that shows the kind of the that positive chemical response. And I mean, we all know living in the mountains that you have your best conversations in the skin track or on single track or, and it's amazing that that just happens. There's gotta be a reason for that.
1: Well, yeah. Now the science is kind of, you know, they're starting to, um, light, you know, understanding that it's lighting up the brain and it's doing, um, these different things. And you know, it's call it nature therapy, call it, um, zellers and i have joked a lot about you know our devotion to the church of the seven day recreationalists and and i remember after this this uh 2016 election um where you know after a little bit we're like dude the church matters man we like if it wasn't for that mountain bike ride or you know why i think i'd go off the handle and then i feel again like deep gratitude that somehow i've found this because i'm a I am useless if I, I mean, you put me on a movie tour for two weeks and, and now I've gotten better. I'll again, like I'll, I mean, when we were on ode to Mirror, I remember driving to an event and, um, been busy all day and it's like, I'm on Google maps going, there's a green spot right here, pull over into this neighborhood, jump this fence and we're going to go and just kind of like. Walk and run around the woods and go find a cool tree. Reset. Uh, we got 20 minutes and then come back to the car 20 minutes later and like let's do this. Right. We're ready.
0: Yeah, that's rad. But I think there's a lot of opportunity for for us with Mountain Festival and maybe protect our winners because you know, admittedly and and maybe fairly, we've gotten criticism of we're putting more people in the backcountry through this free and geared for intermediate beginner event but i was talking to nettle about this and i was like dave how do we navigate these waters because i feel like we're doing the right thing and i want to take those people who are beginners and turn them into fucking believers because then they become defenders
1: there's absolutely like my hope is that i inspire people to get out there um with that there is um a negative side to that which is more crowded trailheads, more people in the mountains, more um you could argue, you know, which inevitably could lead to you know not with people trying, but trash is falling out of more packs or what have you. I think that it's still the benefits outweigh the negatives. And and then I also think that like man I'm pretty, you know, if you've been doing it for a while and you're creative, it's like, yeah, you know what? We, we've missed that opportunity to drive to the most popular trailhead three days after a storm, skin up an hour and a half and ride powder straight fall line to your car. Sorry, that's out. Good news is the gear's lighter. It's as best it's ever been. We got better Avi forecasting and go walk go walk around the corner and I mean if you can't find some a smooth untracked surface you're not being well, are you doing creative yeah. I mean it's just like are you kidding me like you know yeah so we've lost the the front country above the car terrain days after a storm right. but we you go one layer back and it's really easy to get away from tracks and like maybe you run into someone out there who you know where in the past you wouldn't but who cares, man? Right. You know, and
0: invariably, it, you probably know them here. You're right.
1: And <laughs> you it's going to be great to, I mean, nothing, it's great to meet
0: people way out in the back country. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the kind of the metaphor of your trilogy, you know, deeper, further, higher. That's right. what we always say to people like, yeah, you can't show up to Jake's at six and be, be putting the track in. you got to be there at four 30 now. Yeah. But if you're not into that scene, go deeper, go further, go higher, you know, and like you said, you will you, it's all there. It's all
1: there. The off days are there, and yeah, and you know, I I do I feel for you know maybe the the weekend warrior. It's probably you know the weekends. I think with us, what's been saving us is you the know the, the world is still very committed to nine to five, five days a week, yeah. um, and. So, but it can be dodged. It can, through creativity, you can um, still go out and have a really special time in the mountains. Yeah, agreed. Even on the, you know, on a Martin Luther King Day, you know, Mm -hmm. mega holiday. Right.
0: Is there anything that you struggle with personally? Um, I think I struggle with, um,
1: as I get the, you know, the things that, I mean, switching into the climate stuff, I I definitely struggle with. I mean, that I'd say that's probably hardest on me, both um, understanding the issue, understanding that we're losing on the issue, understanding that we're doing a disservice to the kids, understanding that I play a role
0: in... You're complicit.
1: Yeah, I'm part of the... We all are. I'm part of the problem. I'm super, I'm hyper aware of, uh, my impact on the planet. And so I'd say those are the things that, you know, when it comes to like making snowboards and stuff, it's that side of things is like, that's, those are great challenges to have. Like, do we add more rocker or camber or what have you? And, and, and also understanding those have a, also have an impact. Um, but, uh, on the snowboard stuff, I mean, I, I see the checks that we write every year, um, to these environmental efforts. I know it's the single biggest hurdle to, uh, to these, um, environmental groups is income. And I, I feel really, um, Good, you know, our product is we embrace best practices. We're put, we push hard on best practices to make cleaner, longer-lasting stuff, and telling customers these things are built to last. We raise a lot of money through Jones, so I'm at I'm at peace with that side yeah. of things. But the climate stuff, I mean, if you really dig into it, it's again, it's been, it's made this outdoor time way more special to me, mm-hmm. uh, and way more important for me to have it to go in and cause the climate stuff is, it's just a, it's a divisive topic. I'm not a divisive person. I don't look at the last thing I want to do is, um, get in an argument with someone or, um, stir shit up. I, I run the other way and it's been hard to do that with climate.
0: Right. Totally. When well, I think too, you know, for me, <laughs> I've tried to be self-reflective in my personal life, you know, and, and come back to the, the footprint part of it. But you know, I think we live in a day and age where athletes in particular now, and in my eyes, it started when Rob Carr, you know, an ultra runner for the North Face, came out and said, you know, I've just won Western States. I'm at the, the pinnacle of my career. And here's a news flash, like I fight depression every single day. You know, so I think it's rad that that's really cool. Athletes are willing now to come out and say, "Hey, I have an eating disorder," or yeah. "I struggle with depression," or things like that. So I think it's it gives the face of someone like Jones or yourself like more relatability. You know, yeah I think that's really powerful.
1: I look at it's like you know, going back to the the gratitude. It's like there's you know, over seven billion people on the planet. If you're a white male. Born in America, then you get to call Lake Tahoe home. Don't have you know major health issues and have a health you know a, a brain you know a, a healthy brain or you know don't deal with mental demons. I mean you've hit the lottery six times over, mm-hmm.
0: maybe more. Maybe more.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's interesting. So you've been at the game really since its inception, right? 1994. And, and you've seen the history of an entire sport, you know, and arguably have become its most well-known and staunch advocate. How do you deal with being, you know, a a, a snow sports deity? How do you remain a normal person? Because you very much are You're just a normal dude.
1: Well, I mean, I've been super great. I mean, my timing of being a a, a snowboarder born on this planet. The fact that I started with wooden boards without edges and, you know, have taken it to where we are today to like, I mean, I couldn't have picked a better birthday. So super fortunate with that. And then I don't know. I mean, I don't, I guess if it's still this very small sport, yes, people, I, get called out in the lift line and people are psyched to see me and things of that nature. But in the grand scheme of, um, celebrities or what have you, um, you know, I'm grateful that I have the right amount of, um, you know, people psyched on, on me. And I just, I don't know. I don't think it's, um, I have plenty of faults. Um, and I, it's funny, like I, getting ready to give this Ted talk and it's like, you, you re you listen to these Ted talks and they're, they're all like, sound like everyone's got everything figured out. And I'm like, no. I'm like, you know, my, my closet's a mess. Yeah. My car's a mess. And I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm a dad trying to link it together and, right. and put it, pull all the pieces together. And I do not look above the rest. And, and quite frankly, I, the one thing like, Money, you know, money's important and what have you, but it's not, um, I learned a lot on the East Coast. I saw a lot of really rich, miserable people with horrible family lives and horrible marriages and, and almost, um, like I lived, um, I saw both sides of that, like being a hockey player and like very much grew up in, in the blue collar side of Cape Cod and, and could end up, um, one weekend living, you know, or spending the weekend going to hockey games with a family that is scraping by and the next weekend being 10 miles away, you know, in a house near the Kennedy compound. Mm-hmm. And at a really young age, I was like, wow, this doesn't money does not buy you um happiness. So then with that, I really, it goes back to the happiest person on the mountain who's, I mean, there's people that I get inspiration from a lot of different people. And a lot of them are, and I'd say that's one of the best parts about being a parent is I've made all these friends that have nothing to do with, you know, prior to being a parent, it was my whole world was like hardcore skiers, snowboarders, climbers. Now I've met some amazing people that yeah, that's part of their life, but, um, they have this whole other aspect and, and see how, um, happy they are and how good of a father they are, a good husband they are. And it's instructional. Yeah. And it, and so when I'm on the side of the, or at the school bus or what have you, I'm just there as a parent. I mean, I'm the, I'm the parent that brought the, the kindergarten kid to the bus and, forgot the shoes and trying to, you know, barter with the bus driver to let them on without shoes. <laughs> you know, so I just feel like I'm an equal when, when it comes to that stuff.
0: Yeah. Cool. How have you been able to stay engaged over, you know, coming up on three decades, 25 plus years
1: of snowboarding? Yeah. God, that's been, that's been, um, easy, uh, surprisingly cause I go into it like, I also love to surf, and and I'm it, it comes the reality is if it's January and I'm looking at the surf forecast more than the snow forecast, so be it. I'm going surfing, but I think the foot powered stuff, quite frankly, you know that has been that's just changed everything right. for me from a fitness. You know, I was in uh, more pain at thirty than I am at forty-four um, by a long shot, and the fact that that whole um, I just love going into the mountains, uh, uh, walking into them, seeing new mountains, just experiencing all that stuff that now, last winter, I think I snowboarded more than I had since I was 22. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, the, the stoke is real and it's not going away and, and I just feel very grateful that I have this thing that's a part of my life and still so engaged on and fired up to and and so fired and it, and it really my need for perfect conditions has never been lower um and i think that that's one of the things i'm most um proud of is right. like i don't need pow to have a good time um i can find i mean even through those drought years i mean 90 percent of my snowboarding's in the sierra whether it snows or not mm-hmm. so just embracing the absurdity of backcountry riding with a 12 to 18 inch base um, was classic.
0: Yeah. Talk about you want to make your own private mountain. That's how we do it. Yeah. And for me, like, you know, just sitting down with a lot of professional athletes who are very accomplished and very driven and um, and just amazing people. But it, it seems to me that there's a common thread that you're pursuing what you're pursuing for personal fulfillment. Like you said, yeah. not ego isn't your driver. And it seems like that has probably resonated through your entire career.
1: Yeah, I, it, I'm at this. It's funny to think of like, you know, you start out as a kid, you snowboard. There's there's no weight to your snowboarding. Um, when I was 16, there was a ton of weight to my snowboarding. I mean, I'm up in the stargate going like, I better get top 15 so I can um, make it to the next contest. I can... Um, put food on the table. Um, so snowboarding with a ton of pressure. And then there was a lot of pressure, um, which again, you know I had to learn or I would be dead by now to like, and this is again going back to my brother's um, also where had to learn to um, really clearly like, don't worry about if you're getting the shot right now. worry about that in September. When the lights go dark and the movie hits play and if people are screaming or not. That cannot be in your mind in April when you're sizing up serious snowboarding. So I've gone through that phase. Um, There was definitely when I went to this foot-powered stuff at the prime of my career, I was at peace with um, that the spotlight I assumed would get smaller. I knew that there would be a small group of people that thought it was cool as shit that I was doing it. Uh, quite and, the
0: opposite.
1: Yeah, it was quite the opposite. I mean, I I can't. One of the most incredible experiences was when Deeper premiered in Truckee. Um, it was at Truckee River Amphitheater. It's a pretty big venue. Like you know, it's it's um, fifteen hundred people and. I'm there before the show and um, you know, there's nobody there. And, um, and I'm like, man, I just, I hope that at least 400 people come just to like, kind of fill it out a little bit. So it's not crickets. And, um, and I remember I'm like signing and it takes a while. And then a friend of mine comes like, dude, traffic's like, backed up stacked. all the way through town and 1200 people showed up. And I was, I could not believe um, that. Cause I, it, that was not the, I did not think that was, and it, it was not part of that decision. Like, Oh, this is going to fire up a lot of people. So anyways, now I am really just like Moved into this new new phase in my snowboarding, which has almost brought me back to where that that the lightness that I had when I was ten. Where I have no idea. I mean, the, if there's more movies coming, I didn't. This past winter, I ended up uh, being in five movies. I was not planning on that. Uh, it just kind of naturally happened. And the Ode to Muir, you, you know, the year before. I didn't think I was going to be in any movies. Um, and then Ode to just kind of happened on a whim in the middle of March and ended up being a film and ended up on another trip at the end of April. And you know, so I'm just really at peace with my snowboarding. And truly, it's the um, least amount of pressure I've had snowboarding, again, since I was
0: a little kid. It's cool. Full circle. Yeah. Retrospective. And f- for me, too, you know, again, sitting down with a lot of athletes. Some are just very dogmatic and driven they might be the best climber in the world or you know what have you i really appreciate about you that you've evolved and that Mm -hmm. you i think at whatever 45 or you know mid 40s that you know you've obviously realized that the athletic pursuits are just part of the equation and there there are other things that can give you fulfillment and i think your diverse body of work um speaks to that was that a conscious choice or did it just evolve
1: i think that i have um evolved in the in i like being like i mean in the mountains i love um being in these places where i'm like man i could not have gotten here a day earlier in my life i need the whole path that i've been on i need all that right now for this. And then I love the idea of doing new things, embracing things. I mean, I think that like change is trying to it, as I, I really focus on evolving as a person, as a snowboarder, just continuing to learn. And at the end of the day, um I want to you know, come um I basically want to fall into bed and have my brain seep out my ear cause I've just maxed it so hard. And, uh, and I, I do that a
0: lot. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, I've also read that snowboarding is your portal to another world. Um, and this is a, a fun part of yeah. you know, these topics. Um, on, on the really heady lines or even not even just in the skin track or, you know, booting in the backyard is, is it a, is the act of snowboarding a spiritual endeavor for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the fact that it is like dominated so much in my life is it, it's definitely become much more um, than a sport. Um, And it's really, it's an important super important part of my life and it, and it go yeah, that is my, um, it's where, you know, I connect with nature the most. It's where, um, I am the most present and I think that that's what keeps me going back every day.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I recorded with Barry Blanchard who should be dead 30 times over, you know, and that's amazing.
1: Yeah. that, That opportunity.
0: Yeah. No, I was, um, He's just a really soulful guy. And um, he talks about the, the brotherhood, him and Mark Twight and Scott Hackey's yeah. and um, actively courting death, like no yeah. bones about it. Yeah. Um, and he he had a, a description that really resonated with me. He, he calls alpine climbing pushing the door of a radiant, dangerous cathedral. Are those high stakes snowboard lines the same for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, you can definitely, when the stakes are at its highest, I mean, you kind of almost like taste it. Like it, I mean, it's clear everyone knows it's there that what excites me is, um, you know, there's that whole mental side of things of like, when do you know to like be persistent and push through? Um, and what I call the art of big mountain riding is, um, having that like deep um, commitment and fortitude to keep on going when the stakes are down and, and um, it's really hard. Um, but then knowing when all of a sudden it's um, if you do keep going, you may, you know, you might die. And being able to turn around on a goal that you've spent a ton of time on with total ease because your life is now, you know, the the risk um, factor has gotten too big and that kind of mental dance between do I keep going, do I not and is it the, I call it boogeyman fear, like am I just scared because it's dark out and we're clinging to the side of a cliff or am I scared because like a massive avalanche is about to come down and kill us um, and just understanding those two things and and it goes, also goes into that, like, I've made a lot of really good calls in the mountains, but it doesn't mean anything tomorrow, you right. know, when I go back out into the mountains. So, it's funny, because I, on many ways, I um, don't have as much of a stomach for it. And But then this spring, Cody Townsend and I went and hiked up Meteorite and Pontoon, which are some of the bigger, more serious lines. But walked up, I'm feeling really good. Um, you know, it's just full green light. Um, you know, wasn't dry heaving. I mean, I've been in scenarios where, you know, people are dry heaving next to me and, um, due to the fear and everything. And so I guess I've become more patient and aware when those doors open. And then, and I've had, I mean, I had to learn a long time ago, like the, I always go into climbing something serious. is like, I need twenty nos to be turned into twenty yeses, and the most critical one is probably going to be the the nineteenth one at the top. It, you know, is there a wind slab sitting on the rollover? And so when I do get to the top of one of these lines, I'm almost like, oh my god, I cannot believe we just turned twenty nos into twenty yeses, and we are standing on this thing. Right,
0: because failure can be success. You come back to your family. I
1: hate. Yeah, I don't like the word. Um, and climbing, they, they use the word failure a lot. Or I, maybe intelligence.
0: Yeah, I don't.
1: Um, there's a lot of things. I mean, every time I've turned around, it feels equally as good as standing on top because I'm like, I was afraid of dying. I turned around. I am going to see my family again. We made the right call. High five to being able to walk away from this thing that means a ton to us. And we've dedicated weeks, months of our life to, And we just walked away because it didn't feel right.
0: Right. Yeah. Having conviction and the decision is I think very powerful.
1: Yeah. I never regret the turnaround. Zero, zero regret on like, I can't believe we turned around on that thing.
0: Cool. You've got two kids, a son and a daughter. And from what it sounds like, I don't know, Tiffany, but it sounds like she's an amazing woman. Um, I've had friends tell me she's the glue, you know, in the family. She's
1: the brain. She should be doing the TED talk, not (laughs)
0: me. Um, What does your family mean to you? Did you set out to have a family or?
1: Um, I mean, I definitely, I lived a one track mind for a really long time and didn't ever really think like, I'm going to grow up and have a family. But um, met Tiffany not far from here, um, fell in love. It definitely felt like it was right to have kids and um we were in the right setup and the you know had the right partner and then having kids has been this it's definitely been a, an incredible um experience i really have enjoyed being a father
0: cool do you draw strength from the kids because yeah, i know we do from our wives you know yeah
1: i i mean i think that my kids i mean they bring more meaning to what i do you know, they, yeah, they, they have, yeah, I would say I draw strength from them. Mm
0: -hmm. What have they taught you?
1: God, they've, um, I think they've taught me to embrace, um, that maybe everyone's not on the same path as you. Um, they teach me there can, you know, there's fun in the little things in life. I mean, kids are, can, you know, the simplest little thing can occupy an hour of time and, it might seem like wasted time, but it's really important. You know, the most beautiful time
0: comes back to simplicity.
1: Yeah. Um, and then to, to be able to, um, introduce them into the outdoors and, and to see it through their eyes. And it's like they've experiencing things for the first time again through their eyes. Yeah. Like, Hey, you want to sleep outside in the backyard and look at the stars? Oh my God. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, grand adventure on my back deck.
0: Mm-hmm. Super cool. Um, and this is probably a, a question you've fielded, but how do you balance it all? And I don't know. I struggle with that myself. Like yeah. does balance exist?
1: I don't think, I mean, I I'll take this opportunity to apologize to all the people that I have not returned emails to and uh, phone calls. I don't, I do what I can in the day. I make sure that it, I also grab a piece of life every day that that's a really important thing for me is like I work hard and and um and grind you know this time of year especially is like really grinding through a lot of work but I know at the very least I'm getting out for 30 minutes to an hour and a half and I'm gonna go and celebrate life so it's like do as much as I can but still get out and enjoy a piece of every day. Not that I actually am grateful. I enjoy my work. Um, and I love the challenges of that and the brain flex of all that stuff. So uh, but grabbing a piece of it every day and then and spending time, I really value. I try to be there for when my kids get home. because um, it's I recognize they're not going to be under my roof for long.
0: Right. It all comes back to family. Yeah, at the end of the day. We talk a lot on the podcast about death, you know, losing friends in the mountains, um, which we've all unfortunately had to experience. Um, How do you or how have you coped with that?
1: It's a hard thing um, because, you know, especially in our town, we've lost. We were on a really gnarly run for a while and it was death was all around us. Um,
0: Came in big waves.
1: Yeah. And it got, and I was like, I've always felt really good about what I was doing in the mountains and I, but the death has affected me and it's made me, um, I think my tolerance for risk has gotten less because I've seen the repercussions of, um, of death, uh, firsthand too much. And it's like the thought of like, You know, making my friends and family grieve me um, at a, you know, have to go to another funeral. Um, I'm like, I do not want to be that guy. But on the flip side, um, you know, I've lost two friends this week uh, through cancer, one 39 and one 44. And um, one really sudden, one in a three year bout. And so it's like, there's also this level of like, man, we're, nobody's living forever and it's death is, we're all going to deal with that stuff and there's no avoiding it. And, and it goes back to life is fragile and today is the day and you should grab a piece of it
0: mm-hmm. and tell the people that are in your life that you love them. Yes. Yeah. Who have you lost that hurt the most?
1: Shane's death, uh Shane McConkey's death was really hard, um, because he I so I'm so close with his wife Sherry and his daughter Ayla. And so to see someone that is doing you know, living this action sports extreme lifestyle, given Shane was doing some wild stuff, but um you know, to see a father and see the repercussions on what that, the, again, the ripple effects of what that has and on the people behind and to see this little girl left without a father was um, at the time really hard. Um, but now as time passes, Shane's leaving, you know, you know, Ayla is surrounded by love and opportunity and, not all fathers leave that for their kids and Shane left that with the kids so at the end of the day you can argue that he had achieved his job and and it's sad when we're at the dance recitals or what have you and um, Shane's not there but for Ayla it, you know yeah there may be a little bit of sadness to her but it's more the sadness for me is like oh it's a bummer that Shane misses out on that Like right. that's the real loss cause right. she's yeah. got it you know these kids got a lot of love around them
0: yeah, and I always find it interesting, you know, in our kind of circles of mountain people that understand, you know, the risk and the and the consequence, we, I think, approach it from a place of love, you know, like, yeah, Shane might not be there, but he kind of is. Right. And I and I don't have... His a, influence is... Yeah. We I, live through him. Totally. Of. And I don't have a lot of patience for, for the real world, quote unquote, people saying like, you know, it doesn't matter if they died doing what they love they still left a yeah. train wreck behind which has some merit but at the same time like i'd rather have that you know and have a fully realized person living their dream than a deadbeat dad who was a drunk and left the family like what can't we yeah. put it in perspective
1: that's done a lot of scar t- yeah think of the scar tissue on the you know, a deadbeat dad that lived forever had on a kid, um, compared to this, this, you know, again, what Shane has left behind. And, and I will say that like the total opposite of that is, you know, uh, these two friends of mine that just passed away that totally out of their control. And, um, I don't, uh, you know, I, I do think that like there's consequences to what we do. Being reckless is stupid. Life is fragile, and I am. What we don't need is humanity to live in a padded room and do everything they can to live till they're a hundred. Right. the The consequences of living on those edges is is yeah. There's gonna be some. There's it's it's a wild place. It's uncontrolled. That's the beauty of it. There's consequences to that and they um and it's and it's devastating to lose people um in the mountains but the flip side of no one going out there because it's taboo dangerous land i mean that would humanity is not better off with that line of thinking
0: yeah i mean teach their own but people have to live their life yeah and I, i really enjoyed jt's perspective when we sat down and we talked about Shane and losing Shane and, um, you know, one being with Shane when when yeah. the accident happened. But then also his take on losing Timmy Dutton, you yeah. know. So he was mentor, mentee. Yeah. And um, he had some really beautiful, like, reflections on it.
1: Oh, that's... that's I, have I thought was really... To that.
0: For someone who's experienced, like, really in-your-face loss, yes. you know. I think as far as I can tell, you've been very successful in everything in your life. And I, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to say like, yeah, my clothes are a mess and my car's junk show whatever. But how much do you think luck played in your success?
1: I mean, I think the timing, which is a lot to do with luck has played a definite factor and it's so yes, luck is there. Um, Cause I I've had really good timing on a lot of things um, to say you know, the fact that I'm sitting there here, you know, I, I know of, you know, I've at least lost five of my nine lives. And, with, and being walking in mountains, who knows how many footsteps were close to kicking off an avalanche or what have you. So that alone um, is there. And then, but I do, you know, my brothers and I have always had this deal of like outwork everyone. Um, so hard work has been a big part
0: of things. Um, you're a new England family.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, looking ahead, understanding, like, you know, I need to keep evolving. Um, and then embracing, um, learning new things surrounded by learners, um, which allows me to maybe see, look ahead with a little bit more clarity is a factor and and but yeah, I to go back to what I taught at the beginning, there's so I, I you know I've seen so many and way more talented snowboarders than me that you know are pounding nails right now,
0: right? Yeah,
1: not there's anything wrong with it, but um, it's it's eye opening to see you know, why am I the one that like now all of a sudden is be you know getting um thrown around as this legend deal, which I'm, you know, I'm not comfortable with that, but I, cause I rarely am I out in the mountains going, I'm the best snowboarder. Or, you know, I'm never in the mountains going, I'm the best snowboarder out here right now. Um, I've never felt that.
0: But I think therein lies a lot of explanation for why you are where you are and what okay. you've done. What are you the most proud of in your life?
1: Um, I'm really proud of my kids you know, I continue to be in awe of them. They're just thriving. And the fact that I've had a role in that, I feel good that, you know, bringing up kids, you have a responsibility to put them on hopefully a positive path, but man, you know, I'm such a, like, I do not look back that rarely do I look back. It's like, I will why you know, when it comes to films, for example, it's, That thing, by the time it's in the theater and I'm watching in the theater, I'm watching the film going, all right, where where am I moving next? I mean, 95% of the 60 films I've been in, I've seen once at the premiere and it's been put to bed. My kids have seen maybe two snowboard films that I've been in. I have a lot of pride when I see the Jones snowboards in the mountain and someone comes up to me and they're just so full of stoke and, and... so fired up that feels really good again, that these people are, um, just embracing what I'm doing on that front. Um, I'm proud of the team at protect our winners, you know, and just family in general. And I, I don't know if pride's the right word, but just the fact that, um, I guess I'm proud of the lifestyle that I've created, that I've been able to do this and kind of craft this path. I think you should be, Yeah,
0: you know, I mean, nothing wrong with it. Honoring mm-hmm. the gift, like you said. I think, too, for me, I sat down with Jim Harrington, who wrote the book The Climbers. And it's this amazing collection of photographs of these golden era climbers, you know, yeah. 40s to the 70s. What I said to him was like, hey, dude, you have to realize that in 30, 40, 50 years, when you might be dead and gone, like people will look at this, this work of art and we will always be indebted to you. So for me, you know, obviously, we're indebted to you from an athletic perspective, like pushing the envelope of snowboarding, particularly that human powered side of things. But then the whole climate fight, you know, which I know is at the top of your list, I think in history will dictate that this is a very pronounced fork in the road, and you have a lot of responsibility therein. so I think we're we need to be grateful, you know.
1: You know, the, the Protect Our winter stuff is like, yeah, I started it, but when I started it, I re- I was just, it was all about, you know, I knew that, like, this, I cannot be the, like, front Figure of the head. spear. Like, I, I know enough to get this thing off the ground, and I got to get some really smart people around me as fast as possible to really show us, you know, what our direction is, and I just have continued to bring in and find really smart people.
0: But man, that still puts you at the tip of the (laughs) spear.
1: So it's just, but I knew it's like, I am, um, you know, we argue at protect our winners. I'm like, I'm most proud. I'm a spoke in the wheel. And they're like, well, you might be the cog in the wheel. And so we debate over that, but, uh, I'm proud that we have this collective group of passionate people that are really have committed their lives, um, to work on climate.
0: Right. It's vital. Yeah. Cause if we don't figure it out, we're fucked. Yeah. The question I like to end with, how do you want to be remembered?
1: Right now, you know, I, I think my legacy in snowboarding is what is, um, how I would be remembered if my life ended today. Um, but I think, my hope is um, that I have a lot more time on this planet and I get more and more effective on the climate front. And I think that if, if I can um, be a part of us taking this fork in the road, as you said, um, and you know, that means that we took that fork, you know that's more important than the snowboarding that I've done. And, and I think snowboarding has given me this opportunity and this voice. Um, and we'll see if I can take that uh, opportunity and do something really positive with it.
0: Right. Yeah. And I love the fact that you're willing to take a stance. You know, I wonder, do, do professional athletes have a responsibility to use a platform? And I don't think there's a right answer.
1: You know, we, I had someone ask me that recently and Probably i go back and forth person. i mean yeah it's like you don't you should not if i was mentoring a 20 year old kid i would not be like you got to find a cause and get into right. it because it's not going to work yeah um it's gotta like it's going you gotta want to be like man i'm reading a book on this and like seeking information and becoming an expert in this field and if you're just like uh you know oh i'm you know i figure you know i'm gonna stand out on this one thing and then you're going to get crushed back down and you're like I'm never doing that again so it will work itself out cuz if you're kind of half assing something it, cuz it's not necessarily the if you stand out on anything at this time you know you're going to get some mud on your face and right. no good deed goes unpunished um, so i you can't force that yeah. and if you're coming up and you know a kid coming up as a pro like i need to find something because it's going to be good for my career it's not going to work
0: right it Um, needs to be organic
1: but i do think that we have been given these opportunities we've been given this um spotlight and and you know you might you know there's an opportunity to, to do something with that spotlight and it can be as simple as like hey, I'm going to show you how to live a healthy lifestyle and get the most potential out of your life. That There's a lot to be said. Right. To that.
0: There's honor in cleaning toilets. Yeah. Yeah, right on, man. Well, I know for me, it's a huge honor to sit and chat with you on a personal level. So I always try to thank everyone and honor the fact that you've taken time out of a very busy life and to come and chat. And hopefully people will enjoy hearing the, the words from you. Well,
1: I would throw that back at you the i have a lot of honor as well and, and a lot of um it's the least i can do i know what you do in the community um with the shop and the festivals and the events and the, so i grateful to have you in the community and it's the um least i can do is to you know and, and just nice to be able to sit down and wrap up yeah
0: totally man you're a soulful guy it's all love I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jeremy. Our goal here at Afterglow is to give you a glimpse into the minds of some of the top mountain adventure athletes of our day and that maybe in some small way will allow you to use their lessons to live a more realized and fulfilled life. Afterglow is recorded at the Pink Palace Recording Studio on the west shore of Lake Tahoe. Our production staff is a team of three. Myself, Brendan Madigan, Sound engineer Miles Heaps, and my wife Kristen Hannah madigan who also runs sound and edits every one of our episodes. The music of Season 3 is generously provided by the Old String Duo. Make sure to check them out on Instagram to listen to more of their work. Afterglow is available on any podcast listening platform. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, review, and tell your friends. Season 3 continues on Monday, November 25th, with consummate local hero, Lel Tone. You don't want to miss a revealing and emotional conversation with one of the most badass women to ever grace the ski industry.